The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Welcome to One Billion Raving Fans, a podcast from the people at Waitwell. I'm your host, Shannon Vandermeulen. I'm fascinated by the art and science of service excellence. Why do some brands have customers who are so loyal that they act like raving fans? Our guests share their perspectives on customer experience and offer tips you can use to create a culture of fandom around your business. Well, hello. Today, my guest is Ildi Arlet from RCI, Results Continuum, Inc. And I'm so pleased to have her as a guest on the podcast because when I think of excellence and customer experience, I always think of Ildi first. Welcome, Ildi. Thanks, Shannon. So kind of you. So I wanted to start off just talking about customer experience. I know you have so much to say, so much experience and wisdom on the topic. But when we think about excellence and customer experience, what does that mean to you? It's a huge question, Shannon. What is customer experience? To me, it's a relationship, period. And that relationship has lots of components. It's complex. It's dynamic. And there's a lot of myths around what it is and what it isn't. And I think one of the areas where we get confused is we think that this relationship is permanent and ongoing in a really predictable cycle. And it's not. I think service excellence has to do with the relationship and what happens in that relationship and how. You talked about the myth. So what's the most common point at which the customer experience tends to break down? I'm thinking specifically, and I know you have a lot of experience working in many different industries, but you spend a lot of time in the clinic setting these days. So where is it that things are breaking down these days? Overall, and this certainly does also apply to the cosmetic clinics, medical aesthetic clinics, med spas I'm working with, Shannon, I think the whole thing is broken. (laughs) I know you and I've had long discussions about this. (laughs) And I don't just think it sounds like there's lots of work to be done. Oh, there is. It's not exclusive to the med spa field. I think it's broken all around. And post-pandemic, wow. Customer service is at least injured and hobbling around for a whole bunch of reasons. I mean, you know, my background is including luxury hotels. And so I think one area that right now many of us are experiencing something being broken is what we call the staff to guest ratio or the staff to patient, staff client, staff customer Mm -hmm. ratio. So we know from the hotel industry that there are literally standards if you want to be a, you know, CAA five diamond hotel then you need to meet a certain staff to guest ratio. Well, how do you do that when you're Mm -hmm. watching labor costs? How do you do that with the great resignation and not having enough team members? And how are you even supposed to know? Mm -hmm. So hotels at least have criteria. Other industries have criteria. A medical aesthetic clinic has absolutely no criteria. So they'll focus a lot on how many treatment rooms should we have? What technology should we buy? Yet they won't focus Mm -hmm. on, do we actually have the right number of team members to serve our patients and clients and make this a great experience? Great experience, meaning one of two things. 
either we did so well to serve you and give you such a great experience on your visit that you'll come back and or Mm -hmm. that you'll come back and be a raving fan for others, an ambassador. Why do you think it matters to clinics to have raving fans? Like, why is it not good enough to just have a satisfied customer? What's the difference for you? The biggest difference for me is I think there is no such thing as the happy customer. Although in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, we talked about having a happy customer. And now we shift from, is your customer happy to, is your customer successful? So are they more happy Mm -hmm. or in some way enriched at having done business with us? Or are they more successful having done business with us or interacted with us? And success we define as when this patient came to our med spa, did we help them succeed by giving them an experience, an opportunity, or some kind of knowledge while they were here? And so that is sometimes an uncomfortable definition for people. Sometimes we want to simplify it Mm -hmm. and say, well, a happy patient is one that didn't have to wait. Or a happy patient is one that fills out an online review. And I'm absolutely convinced after 18 plus years serving this industry, 27 years in business, it's completely the wrong metric. How do you measure a successful customer? We look at number one, conversion. And it's a cold Mm -hmm. word that sometimes people just don't. So how do we Mm -hmm. measure conversion? Does there need to be a sale? Did they have to have purchased a skincare product, a laser? Did they have to buy something for conversion to happen? Or a lot of people in this field really even object to the word sales. And I know you and I have talked before, I cannot separate service from sales anymore. They're one in the same. They have been since we started doing this work like two decades ago. So I'm not sure that they have to buy something, but we do measure it by saying, did this person come back and did they tell others? The challenge, Shannon, is there is this standard that's being held. And I'll just give you an example for neuromodulators. Some people might know that as Botox or Dysport or whatever product they're using. So that tends to be the number one revenue generator for most clinics. So the dilemma has been, okay, well, if we can get Shannon to come in three times a year for her neuromodulator service, that's better than twice. Or if we can get her to come back, you know, Mm -hmm. every three to four months, that's better than once every six months. And I'm not so sure. So now let's fast forward. What have we seen in the 18 years in this industry? Well, we've seen that there's not a lot to incent them to come back without us starting to lower our price. So then what happens? Do we discount? Mm -hmm. And so whether it's med spas or hotels or whatever, do I always have to win an iPod touch if I open a bank account? Like, does there always have to be that giveaway? Mm -hmm. And so I hear a lot of people saying, well, you know, nowadays the customer is so finicky, you know, you always have to be giving something away to them. There has to be some extra incentive. And that's the equivalent in service, Shannon, that we call like wowing that client. And I don't think we need to wow them, nor is it possible to wow them every time. I actually think that they're looking for a consistent level of service. I think service excellence has to do with consistency and predictability, not to perfection, but That's a lot of what we are missing. And then raving fans. That's why we're here on the podcast. How many people Mm -hmm. are they telling and what are they telling? So if we could picture, you know, I know marketing clinics spend a ton of money with marketing companies for what I'm afraid is not a lot of result. I see results from much more what I call simple or internal marketing, but they're spending these marketing dollars building avatars. You know, who is your average patient or customer? I'm not sure there's a lot of flow through on linking what that 
and who that avatar is with their actual marketing strategies. That is highly questionable. But I think what a worthwhile exercise would be around the service excellence piece would be to say, when our client or patient talks about our clinic, what did they say? And it's an assumption that a raving fan is all positive all the time. Everybody's friendly. Everything is perfect. When you and I know that if you say, can you recommend a med spa for me to go to? A really great review or that verbal testimonial or ambassadorship has to do with saying, you know what, Shannon, it is on the other end of town and parking is a bugger. But man, once you get in there, it is amazing because Mm -hmm. whatever that is. So I think clinics want to measure conversion and they also want to measure patient experience. And there's so many ways to do that. It's its own separate podcast. But I'll give you an example that is doable for most businesses and most clinics because the people who are working in those clinics have experienced this. So how much sense does it make in a clinic to have an entire experience where, you know, you go in, you have a service, you might even only be having a consultation for a service or treatment. In any case, what sense does it make to be asked at the end of the experience? So how was that? How much sense does it make after you've stayed at a hotel for three, four nights to be asked at the end when you're hit with that whopping one to four thousand dollar <laughs> bill? So how yeah. was your stay? Was everything okay? So at what point should they be asking that? So we look at what is the patient flow and what are the touch points? And so an example would be that the person who booked to come and see someone at that med spa had an experience, maybe through social media, maybe through the website. They may have had wait times for the appointment. They may have had wait times in the beautiful, beautiful waiting area that clinics create. And a really good point of contact would be when we're establishing rapport and we get into a private treatment room is to say, Shannon, I'm so glad you came in to see us today. And even as we're just sitting down, Shannon, it doesn't need to be like a formal part of it is to say, how was your arrival experience today? How was your check-in today? I mean, through COVID, we've had everything from stand on left foot, temperature, all the rest of it, follow the arrow. (laughs) And that's fine. I'm not criticizing it. I'm just saying that one way or other, that person already had a huge experience just in getting to that seat in front of you or to that virtual consult. Why not check in? And that's where you're going to get feedback. What's the hesitation there, though? What what prevents people from asking the question, how was it? couple of things. One, they're just not trained. Nobody told you. The idea just hasn't been shared. And that's why podcasts like this are important, number one. But what's interesting, Shannon, is when you do tell them, I say, you know, what would be the equivalent of being asked when you arrive in your hotel room and are allowed to get settled in? Or when you go dine that evening at the hotel restaurant, how's everything been with your stay so far? Or how was your check-in process? Is everything in your room okay at the restaurant versus at the end? So when I say that to a person who works in a clinic, they're like, that makes so much sense. It feels spacious. It feels generous. Yes, I can do it. The other hesitancy is, well, why don't we ask customers how things are? Because we're actually afraid of the answer and we may not have a plan for what answer we get. That's always been my suspicion, to be quite honest. Feedback is hard. It's not easy to hear, well, you know, I really hate your parking lot or, you know, the receptionist was rather abrupt. Because if you don't have a plan for how you're going to handle that feedback, it can be really difficult to hear. One thing you're reminding me of, Shannon, in that is when people say, well, let's have a plan. Let's be proactive with our customer service or service excellence. 
So let's start with, okay, well, if they had to wait, if there was any kind of wait time, here's what we would do. And I've always found it remarkable that we use the word if, okay, whether I'm ordering Mm -hmm. fries at McDonald's or whether I'm going to see a clinic and about to spend or invest $4,000, there is a wait time, but even the language around it. So if our patient had to wait, what would we have them do? You mean when your patient waits? Yeah, I've never been to a doctor's office that I didn't have to wait. (laughs) Well, and you would think that med spas are different because it's private pay, it's elective, you're choosing to be there. So what's our plan? And what's so interesting is when we challenge team members in any business, but in a medical aesthetic clinic to walk through, through their patient's eyes, literally like hold your phone and walk through so you can see what the sight lines are because that's part of service, you know, the physical setup Mm -hmm. and the flow. If you actually add up the amount of time that they are spending waiting, not just to get the appointment, but to get into the appointment, to get into the waiting area, waiting area into a treatment room, waiting in a treatment room, waiting to be checked out, there's a fair amount of that time. I have another theory about it, which is that I think there's definitely hesitation. I think there's a lack of training. But I think the other thing that happens is that there's the perception that feedback needs to be organized. And digital transformation has really contributed to this in that organizations want to send out a survey at the end so they can collect all the information. They've asked everybody the same questions. They're getting responses in an organized way so then they can then analyze the data and give themselves a score. Whereas if it's just done in sort of a more informal way, you know, it's your first night at a hotel and Mm -hmm. the waiter asks how the check-in was or how the service has been so far, there isn't an organized way of collating all that data and gathering it so that you can get a 4.2 score or whatever (laughs) at the end of the day. It's like digital transformation has eroded our trust in sort of that anecdotal relationship building way of getting feedback. A hundred percent agree, Shannon. And in clinics, that feedback is mostly surrounded around a positive review and gaining a positive review that I can put on a digital format Mm -hmm. in order to induce others and say, see, look how many people said, I love coming here. Everyone is so friendly, which is another huge myth Mm -hmm. that friendliness equals service excellence. And Mm -hmm. as you and I know, it, it absolutely does not. I really love your point around, do you need to standardize it? So let's say we don't ask feedback, but a lot of our clients and patients are late. They're sincerely apologetic to the service providers to say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm so frazzled because parking. And then the receptionist or the doctor or physician's assistant says, well, oh yes, I know, I know it's okay. You're here now. Or they say something. And then they say, well, we can't fix our parking situation. We're never going to add more spots, but we're looking at the wrong question. So we always say that a problem well-defined is half solved. Like, are we disempowered because we won't be able to add 20 more parking spots by tomorrow or even two? The other part of that patient journey and path that we could look at and say, what do we have control over? So when they wait, how will we manage that experience? Not if they wait. Do you see Mm -hmm. the difference? Yeah, for sure. And I think there's a perception that in order for feedback to be relevant, It has to be solvable as well. Not all problems are solvable. You know, in my life working in a motor vehicle registry, I can't help the fact that the government requires certain types of documentation and that some types of documentation are not acceptable. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely not something that I can change. We're not going to throw policy aside in order to make people happy. But it doesn't mean that people aren't going to complain about it. 
you know, for example, if your license expires for more than six months, which happens sometimes, people forget, they don't look at it, you know, they haven't been traveling lately, we're going to have to see proof of residence. And it's frustrating. It's, you know, it can be, especially these days, people don't get bills mailed to them, so they don't have something easy to present. They complain about it. But complaining, the solution to it doesn't necessarily have to be, oh, let me take care of that for you. Let me get rid of that problem. It can actually just be empathy. You know, you're right. The parking isn't great here. Thank you for coming in anyways. We really appreciate that you made the extra effort to pay for parking or to walk the extra couple of blocks means a lot to us. But I think a lot of times if people don't have a solution, you know, like, okay, well, we're going to add 10 parking spots before your next visit, then they don't want to hear the complaint. Right. Or how are you going to eliminate the government needing to, you know, have that? So we go back to the beginning of the conversation around what is service excellence and It is a relationship. And in that relationship as the service provider, one of the greatest areas of opportunity is to ask ourselves and go through what we call an anticipation exercise. How do we anticipate Mm -hmm. what this looks, sounds, feels like solely from my customers, patient, guests, clients' point of view? And it's a hugely, Mm -hmm. hugely different point of view to the point where If you are finding that serving your clients is starting to feel inconvenient to you, then you start to operationalize and create a customer flow that suits you, not the customer. Now, you know in my work, Shannon, that service excellence has to start with taking care of the provider and the workplace and that leader long before we even look at that customer experience. So people perceive that Mm -hmm. to do or improve service excellence, you need to do more, have more, get more. The reality is, to go back to the beginning of our conversation, there is an importance in your staff to customer ratio. How many staff do you have? How many people are you serving? But I have never worked in a place where people said, and I mean, this is 30 years of consulting where people don't have one of two complaints. We don't have enough staff and we don't have enough space. Well, guess Mm -hmm. what? In the last 30 years, some people did build bigger spaces and they did bring in more staff. And then you give it anywhere from six to 24 months and we're in the same boat. So I have huge empathy for everyone who is what I call frontline, which is face-to-face or voice-to-voice with that customer, because there is this pressure to constantly feel like we need to do more. And in order to survive that, Mm -hmm. I'm finding especially in pandemic and post-pandemic, however you choose to see it, that we're exhausted. It's service fatigue because you can never catch Mm -hmm. up. It isn't done. And then Shannon, I think you raise such an important point around, do we take those complaints and feedback that we risk having those conversations for? And do we solve everything through operationalizing something? So the question is, where is the Mm -hmm. humanity in service excellence and in customer service? In fairness to lots of the people doing this job, sometimes as a human doing this job, you feel like you have to cut off a little bit, which to me is cutting off some of your humanity, which makes it really difficult to show the kind of empathy that you're talking about. So it is a really complex dynamic of not just serving Mm -hmm. our guests and customers and patients, but taking care of that team to make sure they're prepared and cared for throughout that experience. Every conversation that we have with a customer is a risk. Just like in leadership and coaching, every conversation is a risk. It doesn't have to be like a mm-hmm. life and death risk. But I really understand and see that it feels risky to pull up chart notes mm-hmm. from a patient's last visit and say, oh, I see that you bought $300 worth of skincare last time after your laser treatment. How did that skincare regime work out? 
people either don't know, haven't practiced, think it takes too much time to do, or they're afraid. But wouldn't you say it's a bigger risk to not ask the question? Because a lot of people don't want to give the negative feedback and they don't want to say anything, but they'll say something by not coming back. They'll say something by not recommending to a friend. And to that point, Shannon, other than how do I keep my staff engaged and motivated, the second out of the top three questions I get is how can I get more patients? How can I get more customers? And unfortunately, the common mindset is that it's a marketing exercise and it's not a marketing exercise because all of my chips on that table are in serve your existing clients. Every marketing tactic, every internal, external, I advocate taking care and giving attention to the people you already have for two reasons. One, they are more likely to stay with you. And secondly, they are guaranteed to bring you new people, new clients, new patients, new customers for a quarter of the cost that what I see most businesses trying to spend on marketing, never mind the energy that they're spending. So we're missing. And if you look at an average clinic and maybe even a small medium one, would have a couple to a few thousand contacts in their database. And one of the challenges is, you know, Shannon, you and I have talked about this. I'd love to hear your perspective as well, is that every time I connect with my client, it's to sell them something. It becomes fatiguing. And I think for the person who's experiencing it, it just gets exhausting and it feels really repetitive and it feels impersonal. And I don't want to only get an email from you when you want to sell me a new face cream. You used to put on some great events. You had, I can't remember what you call them, customer appreciation appreciation events. Yep. Yeah. What was the driver behind that? What did that mean to you to have those events during the year? Well, it was strategic in all ways. One, a genuine appreciation, a genuine demonstration of showing appreciation while at the same time anticipating our patients and clients' needs. So it started to get a bit pressuring Shannon to fall into the competing on price. Let's say I owned a clinic. I would see all these clinics around us offering this discount and that discount. And for a whole bunch of reasons on another podcast, that just didn't feel right and didn't make good business sense. And it just lowers the price over time. Yeah. So I thought, you know, if the patient really does appreciate getting a better price, how could I increase the worth of that offer? And the way to do that is to have that offer less often. So the concept is what if once a year, which you could even advertise once a year, basically everything has a better price. Everything goes on sale. There's an offer and that offer is made to you because you're an existing client and there's no loophole. There's no fine print of this restriction and that restriction. And you can only use this Wednesdays from you know 4 to 6 p.m. It was an open offer to say, thank you for your business. We appreciate you. We'd like to have you come back and here's an incentive for you to do so. So it took away the pressure to discount all year round by being able to maintain the authenticity around these are the prices and services. If for some reason cost is an issue or an objection, this is the one time of year you could get it for something different. But what we did on the other side, Shannon, is we did value add over discount. And the difference is if I'm selling something for $100 to discount it 20%, thus charging the customer $80, or to consider anticipating their needs, let's say around a laser service or some other kind of service, what might they need next? And saying, we're going to give you 20 extra dollars, whether it's spending dollars or off something else. So you add the value 
versus discounting. And that was a model that worked for us. The other part, as you know, is I think to really be in service, you have to actually like interacting with your customers and clients. It's exhausting. Like you said, you don't like all those memes out there. Oh my gosh, people. Like I'm going to invite the people, but now I have to serve them. It's that meme that I saw that says, I expect to be invited to everything and don't expect me to go to anything. It's a two-sided coin. Mm -hmm. So do you want to host them? How does host or individual attention get given to a patient or client so they feel appreciated? And the number one reason people hold back from that model, Shannon, is they think, well, I can't serve all my existing clients and patients. Right, you can't. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't serve any of them. So my challenge to all businesses and clinics in particular is I challenge you to connect with 20 of your existing patients, whether they were here a year ago or whether they come in twice a year and to, in your own way, filter through your own experience, interact with them in a way that you normally wouldn't. So an e-blast doesn't count. I'm all for the e-blast, by the way. I just think the content is missing. If you took those 20 people and you interacted with them because they're your existing patient, what needs do they have that you might anticipate or what will happen after those 20 contacts? So what we see through our programs is that when you connect with those 20 people, yes, you're risking getting feedback, you're risking getting complaints, but you are for the vast majority, you are inviting a connection and that connection happens to be in your business and you're an awesome service provider and there's going to be a conversion there. And that's what we see over and over again. Instead of chasing the new, chase the ones that we already have. And that's part of service excellence. I would put that in the category of if it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. Because it is challenging. It is so scary to ask how have things been for you or, you know, to ask for the referral or to ask for the genuine feedback. To ask the question, you know, how is that $300 skin regime that you purchased after your last treatment? How has that been? Because people don't want to hear that it wasn't very good. You know, it's the same at the restaurant. The waiter doesn't want to hear that the pasta was actually a little overcooked. You don't ask that question. How does the chef ever know? Well, that's it. And what happens when the server is afraid of chef? We build a runway in order to have takeoff and liftoff for service excellence. And going back, so picture a runway before the takeoff or picture stepping stones before we get to that platform or landing, is we look at, always we look at leadership first, always, to say what's happening, what am I doing as a leader that is either enabling or nurturing or restricting a culture of service. The misnomer again, Shannon, is that people think because I have great staff and I love my staff and they're super friendly and they get things done during the day, that that's great service. And I would argue it's absolutely not. And so that is sometimes why we see leaders doing the right things and listening to these types of podcasts or hiring consultants, whatever it might be. But the challenge is that they then don't know what to do. So we always look at the leader first, then we look at teams, and then we look at the goals. So if the goal is to increase and elevate our level of service in our business, what are our teams doing? And to respect that those teams are made up of individual human beings. They are not their job mm-hmm. title. They're not a nurse injector. They're not a laser technician. They're not a server. They're not a receptionist. So what tools as leaders are we giving our team other than a motivational talk to be super, super service friendly? Literally, what tools around the points we've talked about? Feedback. What is service recovery? Meaning a complaint. 
Why does that have to be an extra, Shannon? Why can't we build that into the patient experience? And that's the work ahead of us. Well, Ildi, I think that the clinics that are working with you are very fortunate because I truly value your experience. And I think of you as a leader when it comes to talking about customer experience excellence and customer success. So I just want to thank you for taking the time to be on our podcast and look forward to seeing you again. So great to have time with you, Shannon. Thanks. Thanks for listening to 1 Billion Raving Fans. If you enjoyed listening, please follow or subscribe and tell a friend. Visit www.waitwell.ca to download a tip sheet you can use to create 1 billion raving fans for your business. Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network.